Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a privilege to get to be here. Be seated, it's an honor for us. I have my son and my grandson here with me and one of our lawyers, uh, Michael Adams. It is just a thrill for us to get to be here. Turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Luke chapter seven. The book of Luke chapter seven. My family was in the cattle business as I grew up. We slaughtered cattle, uh, we raised a lot of cattle, and we slaughtered about 7,000 a week, sometimes a few more. And we had feedlots that we kept cattle in. And one day I was with my dad at one of the feedlots and he said, I've just got a good buy on a bunch of bulls. And he said, these bulls are really rambunctious. He said, we're gonna put 5,000 of them in this feedlot right over here. And he just said, be careful messing with them because if these boys get a hold of you, uh, they just can really mess your day up. Well, we got these bulls in and at that point we were looking for a lot of hamburger meat. We were making three million patties a day for McDonald's. And how many of you like McDonald's hamburgers, right? Yeah. They're gonna be serving them at the marriage supper of the lamb, so you better like them. All those bulls did all day long was fight and eat. They would eat and then they'd fight, and then they'd fight and then they'd eat. But there were a couple of them that you could tell were real trouble. I mean, when I'd walk by, they would follow you, and they have a way of putting their eye on you. And you can just tell, I want you. My dad came to me and he said, I need you to go in there and clean their waterers out. Now here's the problem, when animals eat, they put their nose down in the grain, their nose is moist, and they eat, but grain gets on their nose, then when they go over to get a drink, they wash it off into the waterers. So you gotta go clean the waterers. And I said, no, I don't wanna go in there, Dad. I said, there's a couple of them in there that have got their eye on me. And, and I don't want to be their lunch today. I just don't want to do it. He said, no, you'll be fine. He said, go in there and he said, make sure you take the pitchfork with you. Now, when we would have really wild animals, we would take a cane because you could whap at them with a cane. And most of the time, if you just swung the cane at them and shouted nasty, they would go away. But some of them, that just egged them on. And so for them, we carried a pitchfork. And it's pitchfork, we would take it and we'd stick it right into their face. And normally you didn't have to do it too hard, but they got the message quickly. Well, I went in that and started cleaning the water out. I got this four-pronged pitchfork by my side. It's razor sharp. And here comes one of these big bulls. He weighs probably 2,500 pounds, and he's got me in his eye. And he came by me and I went, yeah, yeah, get out of here, get out of here. Didn't do anything. So I took the cane I had with me and swung that at him and yelled. That didn't do anything. Now he started making steps towards me. And so I took that pitchfork and I wrapped him on the nose with it, just smacking him. And all that did was get him mad. <laughs> now he started pawing and snorting at me and lowering his head and shaking it. And you could tell this boy had been done a lot of fighting. His face was full of scars. And I thought, I got a feeling he and I are gonna have to tangle here. <laughs> well, he started towards me, so the first thing I did was just hit him with it a little bit, just 
put that pitchfork in his nose. And he didn't stop him at all. He just went, <laughs> so I thought, okay, I got more. He came and did it again, and this time I really ran it in good. I mean, that pitchfork went in that far. Blood started squirting out, and he went, <laughs> and he's still coming. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> he came, I took that pitchfork, and I jammed it into his head so deep that it buried itself in the bones of his skull. Now, wait a minute, you're looking at me like I'm doing something mean to him. I don't want to fight with him, he wants to fight with me. I'm the good guy here. When that pitchfork went in, I went to pull it back and it was stuck. It is stuck in his head and I'm, he went and let out this horrible sound and he whipped his neck back and forth. That pitchfork went flying out of my arm. It's stuck in him, and he brings it around and smacks me with it. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, this is not how this is supposed to work. I'm supposed to be handling you with trouble. Well, he took the thing, and he went wham, back and forth a couple times, and the pitchfork broke off. All four prongs were still embedded in his head, but the rest of the pitchfork, the handle and the rest of the prong, just took off and went flying. Now I'm in there with nothing. <laughs> and I looked at this bull and I said, hey, now no hard feelings, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to clean your water out. Well, here he come. Man, I'm getting out of here. You can't imagine how you're motivated to run when you got a mad bull with spikes in his head. <laughs> the problem was it had been raining and the feedlot was full of mud and it's mud mixed with manure. Now until you've run in knee deep mud with manure, you've never run. <laughs> You literally go one step at a time because you got to drag your foot out of the stop you're in. I thought, I'm going for the fence. I'm going to try to get out of here. I can hear him behind me. I'm going. <coughs> My foot is getting caught in all this mud. And I hear him behind me. <coughs> He's making double time. And I did do this. I said, Jesus, help me. This is a race for the fence. He and I both arrived at the fence at the same time. Now, he wanted to destroy me. He had the power to kill me. But he learned a lesson. I hit the fence, and he hit me. I mean, I went... Boom, on that big metal fence, big, made out of pipes. And I hit boom, and his back went into me. In fact, the prongs in his face went right through my, my shirt and put holes in me. 
But something happened he wasn't ready for, and neither was I. The fence was electrified. <laughs> now, you haven't lived until you've <laughs> hit an electric fence in a feedlot. that thing hit, and bang, that electricity went through me into him. And he went, <laughs> and all I could think of was my sentiments exactly. <laughs> now there was one difference. I had rubber boots on. He forgot to put his booties on. <laughs> he was standing with his paws and all that wet, manure. When that electricity hit him, those prongs in his head began to smoke. And he started backing up and he said, I want nothing to do with you. You got a power I can't handle. And I turned around and I looked at him and I went, whoa, an electric fence a power greater than me saved my life and got that bull off of me. God says, I'm gonna send you out to deal with some powerful things. You're gonna go out and represent me in a world that has power. And you're gonna be my representative. And I'm gonna give you a power bigger than anything the world has. A power that the world can't even begin to understand. A power that's called faith. But if you go out there without faith, you're in real trouble. Because the world has stuff that is so powerful it can undo us. My question is, how's your power supply? Can you say by the grace of God, I'm ready to take on what this world is throwing at us? Without faith, the scripture says it's impossible to please God. Doesn't say it's unlikely, doesn't say it's difficult, it says it's impossible. Faith is what matters to God. And you're here in this incredible Bible college where you're gonna grow your faith. And you're gonna take that faith and go out there and go up against things that right now you can't imagine. Things that right now don't even seem possible. And my question is, do you have that faith? Twice in the scripture, the Bible says that Jesus marveled at some people's faith. One time, not complimentary. The other time, extremely complimentary. The Bible says the first time he marveled at faith was with his own family, with the city where he grew up, and he marveled at their lack of faith. It so impressed him that he was wowed. That word marveled means wowed, it means taken back, it means something impressed deeply. And the Son of God looked at his own family and said, you're amazingly bad. You don't have faith. And it says because they lacked faith, he could do no great things there. 
If the Lord were here and walked the aisle and we said, who do you marvel at here? Who do you marvel at good? Who do you marvel at bad? The first time he marveled, he marveled at his own family in a very uncomplimentary way. But the second time he marveled is in the passage we're going to read. And he marveled at the faith of a centurion. And it said he's not found so great faith, no, not in all of Israel. If the Lord were to classify us, which side would we fall on? And do you have the ability, that faith, to take on what this world's got out there? Let's read the story together, Luke chapter 7. Now when he, this refers to Jesus, had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he returned into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, say out loud the next two words, he marveled, he marveled at him, and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Would the Lord marvel at my faith which way? Like his family, not much there, can't do much? Or with the centurion's faith? I want you to write three things down that are laid out in this passage, and they're critical. Number one, this man was a centurion. Now, a centurion were brutal. They were the occupying force of the Roman Empire. To be a centurion, you had to prove yourself in battle. You had to be somebody of real respect, of high rank. This centurion is there, and listen to his status. He doesn't have to be nice to anybody. Centurions had the power to kill at will. You could kill because of how somebody looked. You could kill if a glance of their face displeased you. They literally had absolute ability to kill at will. And that's this man. He didn't have to be nice. He can kill you. Not only that, he can steal at will. If he wants your family, if he wants your house, if he wants your goods, they had absolute immunity against theft. They could take anything. Here's a man who can kill at will and who can steal at will. And here's a man who can make you do things you'd never otherwise do for no reason. They had absolute power. 
and they were hated in the hyper-extreme. Remember, it's the centurions who killed Jesus. Whoa. This centurion is there, and he's got a servant that's ill. And he sends to have this servant healed by Jesus. And the people he rules over, the people that he's got absolute immunity against any consequence, that he doesn't have to be nice to ever, those people come to Jesus and say, do this for him. This is a good man. Look at what he said. And they came to Jesus and besought him, begged him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, he hath built us a synagogue. The first key in this whole passage, he was good to people, loving to people that he didn't have to be loving to. He was nice to people he didn't have to be nice to. When's the last time you served people that you didn't have to? No status with them. Nothing there for you. Oh, listen, here's what I find everywhere I go. Man, if you can do something for me, I want to know you and I want to serve you because I want to get you connected to me. And I'll do something nice for you, Dr. R, but now you owe me. This centurion didn't know anybody. But he was kind in the extreme. Nationwide, I'm frightened for what I see in our churches. Our churches are full of people now that are wanting to swap favors. I'll be good to you, you be good to me, but don't you forget what I did for you because you owe me. This centurion didn't have to owe anybody anything. He was a centurion, and yet he was kind in the hyper-extreme. When's the last time you said, God, give me somebody to be kind to who can't do anything for me? Give me somebody to be good to who can't pay me back any way, shape, or form. Give me somebody to serve who could never serve me back. Well, Brother Gibbs, that's just not my style. Hmm, that's the problem. When Jesus said he found not so great faith in all of Israel, it starts with him telling us the story of how this centurion was good to people that he never had to be good to. And that moved Jesus. I will tell you what I find everywhere. The world's full of people who need your help, but they can't do anything for you. They can't give you anything back. Write these verses down. Luke chapter 14, verse 21. You know what the Bible says? Bring in the hither, the poor, the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. Jesus says, when you go out there, I want you to get a hold of people who can't do anything for you. Luke 14, 13, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. Boy, the word of God says, I want you to get people who can't recompense you. Yeah, but Brother Gibbs, you, you, you fill a place up serving people like that, 
When do you get the folks who are going to do something? The Lord will take care of that. Your key is to be what this centurion was, by faith. Proverbs 14, verse 21, he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Proverbs 14, 31, he that oppresseth the poor represseth his major, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. There is no way for us to have the faith that God wants us to have if we're not willing to start serving people who can't do anything in return. James chapter 1, verse 27. True religion and undefiled before God is this. You know what he says? To go do the widows and the orphans. People who can't do anything for you. That's true religion. Now you get unsaved people, boy, they understand how leveraging works. Oh, you want to get connected to that group and you'll want this and it all turns political. And God says, I'm looking for you to go hunt people who can't do anything back. That's where your faith is really going to make a difference. The world is full of people who can't do back. I don't know what the statistics will be this year, but last year in America, if you had a salary of $40,000, including benefits, and we don't consider $40,000, including benefits, as a mega salary. But if you had that salary, $40,000 annually, including all the benefits, you were in the upper one-half of 1% 1 of all salaries paid on planet Earth. 99.5% of the people on this planet made significantly less than you. Jesus said, I want you to go get the blind, the halt, the maim, the poor. Whoa. Centurion, why'd you do this? Why are you nice to these people? You don't have to be. You can just go out there and <laughs> you got the power. No, no, let us tell you about him. They came to Jesus and besought him saying, that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Boy, building them a synagogue was a dangerous thing to do because Rome thought synagogues were canti everything they stood for, and they were. But this centurion said, I'm going to treat people with a kindness, with a grace. I hope that's you. Boy, I pray that's me. But we live so selfish, we live so absolutely palace-like. When's the last time you said, God, give me some people to serve who can't do anything back for me? That'll change everything. My wife has helped me on this many times. She'll say, honey, while you're out there doing all these cases and while you're running so hard, she said, don't overlook the people who can't do anything for you. We just get so busy trying to get everything done, so immersed in the tasks ahead of us. And she says, the world's full of people. They're begging at a roadside. 
Don't overlook them. Whoa. You want the Lord to say, man, your faith is wowing me. It comes with us getting back to what the centurion did. Good to people, he did not have to be good. He didn't have to notice them any way, shape, or form, but he did. Now, love with the people he served said he is worthy. Wow. Would someone step up and say, David Gibbs is worthy? Would they step up and say, you're worthy? Or are we going to be the ones that wow Jesus like his family? So little faith. Wow. Write number two down. Number one, I love that part. He was good to people he didn't have to be good to. They got his attention. Number two, he was a man of humility. He was a man of humility. Jesus is coming to him. And look at what he does. And when he's now not far, verse 6, from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto the Lord, Trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Neither, wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. Now, catch this. He did it publicly. This centurion sent this message that everybody heard. I'm not worthy to have you come to my house, Jesus. And Jesus, I'm not worthy to come to you. When's the last time you humbled yourself and said, Lord, I'm not worthy? How many of you like me are just amazed that God puts up with you? Hold your hand up, would you? Yeah. Have you ever had this thought, if I were God, I'd thunk me a good one? Oh, listen. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humility. Humble. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm humble, Brother Gibbs, and I'm very good at being humble. In fact, I'm so good at being humble, I'm proud of it. What are you talking about? Humility. Jesus, I'm not worthy that you should do anything for me. Have you ever gone to the Lord and said, here's what I'm asking for. But truthfully, you know and I know I'm not worthy. And you mean it. Boy, you want your faith to wow God? That centurion started serving people who couldn't do anything for him. And then he said, in front of everybody, listen, Jesus, don't come. I'm not worthy you should come to my house. And, and I didn't feel that I could come to you. Not worthy come to me. You got all the power. You got all the prestige, all the position. You got all the money. You got all the wealth. You got it all, Mr. Centurion. No, no, no. He said, I have nothing that matters. I'm not worthy. I can't overemphasize this point. Write these verses down, James chapter 4, verse 6, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. I pray you underline these verses in your Bible. Let me tell you what they say, God resisteth the proud. And it was addressed to believers. 
Do you understand if you got pride in your life, you got God against you? If I have pride in my life, I have God against me. God resisteth the proud. Michael, one of our lawyers here, we were on the phone in a very desperate case the other day. And the pastor of this church said, I just don't know how all this can be happening. And I said to the pastor, can I ask you a question? I said, have you got any pride in your life? And he said, pride. I said, yeah, have you got any pride? He said, well, what does that have to do with I said, well, if you got pride in your life, we're fighting God. Because we got God against us. Whoa. Now, no one in their right mind wants to leave here with God against them. But God said, I promise you, I am against you if you have pride. This centurion humbled himself. By the way, write this down. When he said, humble yourself, it's written in the continuum. It's not something you do once, it's something you do and you keep doing it. Boy, I have to battle that. All of a sudden, people are complimenting us and we, we kind of think we are. We start believing our compliments. Listen, if you knew David Gibbs like I know David Gibbs, like God knows David Gibbs, if I knew you like you know you and like God knows you, we've all got two tons to be humble over. And God says, let me tell you about this centurion. He humbled himself mightily. I can't have you come to my house. I'm not worthy. And I couldn't even come to you. I wouldn't be worthy to come to you. I love what Lester Roloff used to say. He said, you can quickly get too big for God, but you can never get too small. God's looking for somebody to say, humble me, humble me. Mr. Centurion, why'd you do it publicly? Why don't you just send Jesus a private note? Why don't you just try to keep it out of the discourse of the day? You realize his humility is going to be in the Bible for all eternity. And he made it public. If I was his lawyer, I'd have said, this is not in your best interest. No, 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 don't, don't, don't be talking like that. You've got to talk large and in charge. You've got to make people think you're something. And he said, no, I'm not worthy. Number one, I'm going to be kind to people. I don't have to be kind to people who can't do anything for me. That's how I'm going to serve. And number two, I'm going to humble myself. Humble myself and get small. I've had the privilege in the last 54 years of meeting a lot of great men and I've had the privilege of seeing them in difficult times, sitting in courtrooms with trials going on weeks on end. And I love these men and I love their ministries. But the ones that have impressed me the most are the ones who had humility. The ones when I walked away and said, I want to be like him. That's the spirit I want. Would anybody want your spirit? Would they say, I want to be like her. I want to be like him. Listen, that's what we're supposed to be. Paul said, the things you've heard and seen in me do. 
humility. We've all made fools of ourselves, talking large and in charge. I was getting a rental car one day in Florida, and they were having a mess. They'd oversold the number of rental cars they had at the company. And there was a lady there with a couple of kids, and she was trying to get a rental car, and they were telling her that they didn't have one for her. She said, but I made my reservation a month ago. I'm here to go to a funeral. Please, I have to have a car. And they said, we're sorry, there's no cars, and there's none for anybody else. And the guy was just treating her terrible. And man, I jacked up and got into it. I said, lady, let me handle this. And I told the guy behind the counter, you're going to get this lady a rental car, or I'm going to sue you and make you regret the day you were born. And he said, what are you, a lawyer? I said, good guess. <laughs> I let him have it. I said, you're a disgrace. Man, you got this lady in tears. She's sitting here with kids, three small kids, one of them in a stroller. And I said, you, you just, and I just went at him, at him, at him. Finally, he said, okay, okay, I'll get her a car, I'll get her a car. I said, you bet you will. And he walked away. And I turned to the lady and I said, uh, thank you for letting me help you. She said, I know you. You come to my Bible college. And I didn't know you were so unkind. I never thought you'd talk like that. She said, Brother Gibbs, it wasn't worth losing your testimony over a car. Yeah, that's right. Life will get you. The guy came back with a car and she said, I, I think you should give it to someone else. And I said, well, let me apologize to him. And the guy behind the counter said, I'm too afraid. You've you got to get a car. <laughs> and she did get one. But I never forgot her words. I never thought you'd talk like that. Those private conversations, it's only you and God. Oh, listen. The first thing you got to do is start serving people who can't do stuff back. We're not in the favor swapping business. That's not serving. You got to serve people, the halt, the maimed, the lame, the blind, the poor. That's from the word of Jesus. That's who he said, I want you to serve. And then number two, you got to get rid of this pride. Rid of this pride. There was nothing wrong with me stepping in to help that young lady. What was wrong was the spirit with which I did it. My words, let your speech be always with grace. My speech was not gracious. And by the way, let me just tell you here, while you're looking for a life's mate, don't you for a second think that those, those words when somebody just spouts off, wait till they turn that spout off on you. Your word is to be with grace. My wife, we've now been married 57 years. She's never one time spouted off at me. And it's changed my life. 
That's the mate you're looking for. Mr. Centurion, you're amazing. You serve people you don't have to. And you're humble. You're humble. By the grace of God, we're commanded to humble ourselves. Not worthy of the Lord's presence. Not worthy of coming to him. Look at the third thing this passage says and we're done. Boy, this story speaks to me, Brother Weaver. Number one, we're going to serve people who can't do in return. Number two, we're going to humble ourselves. Remember, if we've got pride in our life, we've got God against us. And by the way, repent of that immediately. Don't let that sin fester. Whoa. Write number three down. He said, all you have to do is give me your word, Jesus. That's all I need. That's what he said. Verse 7. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned about and said unto the people that followed him, I said to you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. If God says it, that's all we need. That's all we need. His word. He said, Jesus, all you got to do is say it. And when you say it, that will do it. When you start through scripture, boy, it's everywhere. Love your enemies. Well, if God says it, you can do it. Take him at his word. By the way, you're not only commanded to love them, you're commanded to bless them and do good to them. What's on your enemy list? Boy, my wife helps me keep a lengthy one because we get involved in all these lawsuits. The number of people who mean us harm, God says, I want you to love them and bless them and do good to them. Number two, he says, I want you to overcome evil with good. People are going to throw evil at you. And we're to come back with good, with good. And Jesus said, asking ye shall receive. You can move mountains. You can do the impossible. But it's taking God at his word. Yeah, but Brother Gibbs, I haven't figured out how to do it. You don't figure out how to do it. You just take God at his word. That's how you do it. I don't know what God's going to call you to do, but take him at his word. Whoa. People ask me all the time, how did you do all these cases Litigating all these things, cases in all 50 states and in 27 foreign How did you do it? I didn't. The Lord did it. Dr. R., I was just there. God did it. And that's what God wants you to do. Take him at his word. Thy word is truth. God wants to use you to do something phenomenal. 
but you got to take him at his word. Don't try to figure it out. And by the way, nothing worse than to get people who love you, who want to help you figure it out before you try to do it. You can't figure out the impossible because it's impossible. But God said, it's only impossible with man. It's never impossible with God. Never. What would it take for you to have the Lord marvel this morning at your faith? A man wrote a very nasty article about us, very nasty, full of untruth. And he sent it everywhere. And all of a sudden, my phone lit up. People are calling me saying, this isn't true, is it? I said, no, it's not true. But I got upset. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be back in town on Monday morning. I'm going to sue this guy. I'm going to make him regret that he ever picked up a pencil and paper. And I was mad. I got back to my office Monday morning, and my secretary, Mrs. Block, a godly lady, was there. And the minute I walked in, she said, oh, Brother Gibbs, I saw that article. That stuff's not true. She said, I've been here 25 years. That's not true at all. I said, I know. She said, well, I know what you're going to do. I said, yeah, surely I'm going to sue him. I got all the lawyers coming in this afternoon. We're going to get all our legal imagination going. We're going to make him really pay. She said, no, 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 you're not going to do that. You're going to love him and forgive him, aren't you? And I said, yeah. <laughs> right after I sue him. Right after I get even. She said, Brother Gibbs, your God commands it. You got to bless him and love him. I said, surely I know that's in the book. You see, here's the problem. The centurion said, all I need is your word. If you say it, that's the power I need. When your God says it, that's the power you need. It's not the word plus, it's the word. She said, promise me you won't sue him. I said, well, could we talk about it later? because I was really struggling. And she said, no. She said, promise me you won't. Promise me you're going to tell him you love him and you forgive him for what he did. She said, I have him on the phone. When I saw you pull up in your car, I dialed him up. And he's on the phone right now. And she picks the phone up and she said, tell him. And I'm thinking, I don't need a secretary today. I just don't. <laughs> and I sure don't need one that knows the Bible like Shirley does. She hands me the phone. I said, hello? The guy cussed me out. 
I said, you hear that, Shirley? The so-called, he's cussing at us. She said, tell him you love him. And she says, love your enemies. That's out of your Bible. That's out of mine. Shirley said, humble yourself, Brother Gibbs. It's a command. All I need is your word. I told the guy on the phone, I said, you cannot believe how fortunate you are that I have a Christian secretary. I said, because I came in here today ready to do you great harm. But I ran into a lady who knows the Bible, who's taught Sunday school for 40 years. And she reminded me of what my Jesus said. All I need is your word. That's it. We get to heaven, I want to see this centurion. He served people he didn't have to, who could do nothing for him. And he didn't have pride. He humbled himself. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. I'm not worthy to come to you. Just give me your word, and that will do it. This morning, the devil wants to get you out of here, saying, yep, that centurion was something, all right. Well, God wants you and me to be something. I still think of that bull in the feedlot. I needed a power bigger than me to stop him, and thankfully, that fence was on. Now I'm going up against wild bulls all over the world. And they're not human bulls, they're spiritual bulls. And you're going to have to take a stand. And faith is the answer to every bit of it. Mr. Centurion, good job. The Son of God himself marveled at your faith. Now we want you to marvel at ours.